Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as social affairs writer, The Australian, country kid from Queensland living in Sydney, almost found a dinosaur. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Rick Morton. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well, Rick. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? <laughs> I, I tend not to. I tend to avoid eye contact and hide somewhere in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I spend so much time on Twitter? Oh, Rick, you're not that much of an introvert, are you? <laughs> I am. Um, uh, no, not uh, yes. Well, I am, but I, I I like people a lot, but I like them in small doses and in uh, in small numbers. I can kind of tackle them then. Um, so how do you manage that? How do you meter out the small doses? <laughs> With a great deal of effort. I'm constantly cancelling on people. I'm quite flaky. <laughs> it's a terrible habit. I'm trying to break it as I get older. I don't know how that's working out for my friends. Well, I was going to ask, so how many friends have you got? Well, see, it's all about, it's all about quality, I find. So I've got, mm-hmm. I've got really close friends who are super, super close. And then I know a lot of people in my orbit around that, but they tend to come and go. And I, um, I, I keep my distance. Are you more or less likely to appear at a uh, work drinks farewelling somebody? Well, see, that's the that's the thing because I actually because of work and I'm quite comfortable at work. I spend a lot of time mm. with my workmates as well, so I'm always at work functions with my colleagues. I'm often the last one standing. Oh, it's the broader <laughs> social. I don't necessarily know anybody. Totally, here. totally. Is that? Uh, a grown-up Rick trait or is that a trait that's always existed for you? Oh, no, it's absolutely always existed. We grew up on a cattle station in the middle of nowhere. And so, wow. so my, my father and my mother's idea of, you know, going on holiday was to get to a small country town near the Great Dividing Range in Queensland and stop completely because there were too many people and it was very overwhelming. <laughs> so yes. I, I spent the first seven or eight years of my life with just my brother. Wow. Yeah, and no one else. So... It was kind of like built in. I, I, I've actually gotten better at handling it as I've gotten older because we did move to a small country town and then I moved to the Gold Coast and then I moved to Brisbane and then I moved to Sydney. So these kind of like series of baby steps have got me this far, which is still not entirely far enough. I don't know how, how much of a baby step it is from a small country town to the Gold Coast, Rick. I was so excited when I first started on the Gold Coast. I got one of the photographers. I was a cadet at the Gold Coast Bulletin, and I got one of the photographers to drive through Surface Paradise so I could look at all the tall buildings on my oh, first wow. job. It was quite, I was quite sheltered. I cannot impress that enough. No, that's awesome. That innocence that, that plays out that, you know, I, I would love to have that feeling to, to hey, can you drive me through a place just so I can see all the tall buildings? That's, and, that's amazing. And to a degree, I'm still kind of like that. And I think it, it makes me better at my job because I've still got this kind of like um, youthful curiosity for just weird things, <laughs> just weird things. <laughs> I love it. Weird, weird by whose standard? Weird like what? Well, I, that's a really good question, actually. I don't know. I, I guess everybody has their own benchmarks um, for these things. But I don't know. I just, I just find... Um, I used to watch a lot of um, like man and machine style programs and like documentaries on building the um, as one dam and things like that. I'm like, ah, human ingenuity. I feel like um, John Kerrigan from the castle or whatever his name is. <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Daryl. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> it's Dale fun. dug a hole. Yes, it's filling with water. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite place to travel to? Uh, oh God. Um, I love to, uh, 
all my friends love the beach. I can't stand it. So I love going into the mountains. Um, I mm-hmm. spent three months in Tasmania last year and it was just utterly stunning. Um, yeah. I'd never been there properly before. I went there in grade nine on a school trip, but that doesn't count because I couldn't drink the whiskey. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it was just, it was cold and you could be indoors near a fire and you could go walking in quite pleasant temperatures during the day and hiking through the mountains. And um, it's just, and the air is fresh. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a nicer place in the world, to be quite honest. It's a, a, a vast difference to a, a cattle station. Well, yes, yes and no. Like, I mean, the, the people are all funny, uh, which, I, which I quite liked because I'm like, oh, this is literally an island filled with my little clones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great. But, yeah, I mean, every, I mean everything is different to the cattle station because literally it was a 1,000 square miles and mm. there was just no one else around, um, which is good because it forces you to be very good in your own company, um, which is a nice habit to have. Yes. And some people have struggled to build that, I think. I assume. <laughs> Are you saying that you found your tribe and they're Tasmanians? <laughs> My Queensland extended family would hate me for saying that. <laughs> I, I, I just guess I think they, they're onto a good thing and they don't want anyone else to find out about it, so I'm going to ruin Tasmania for them. <laughs> I like them. They're good people. Can I ask a question, please, about your bio? Yes. Almost found a dinosaur. How is that possible? This, uh, Steve, is the bane of my existence. This, mm-hmm. you, know, you know how some people have like, um, you know, like in Les Miserables, there's like Javert who he just haunts uh, Jean Valjean the entire time through and then like in great works of art there's this one recurring motif of horror or trauma. Uh, yes. Mine was not finding a dinosaur because I spent my entire childhood looking for dinosaur bones because I, I, sure. was, I was obsessed with them and I just wanted I I was a little bit conceited in the sense that I, I thought I deserved to find one. And I knew nothing about geography or geology or where they <laughs> should be found, like should, how deep in the rock should they be. I just assumed I would find one sitting on the surface of the ground like it had died yesterday. Mm. Um, so I used to go and pick up these dinosaur, these bones and I would take them back to mum and dad and be like, oh, is this a dinosaur bone? And they're like, no, that is the thigh bone from a cow we shot a month ago. <laughs> uh, so, so it, it, I, it, this is quite like so this is uh, again Les Miserables in, in length the story went on for years and then we left the station and I went to a normal school and I graduated I became a journalist because that means you get to write about the things you were never good at um, hmm. and then when I was 23 I was working in Brisbane I was reading the Korea Mail and I came across my old next door neighbours on the yes. station and they had found <gasps> the biggest dinosaur that's ever been found in Australia Cooper I, I, can I swear on this podcast? Is that Please. allowed? And I thought, what the fuck? Like, honestly, I was so, just so angry and like also excited at the same time. I phoned my mother and she just started laughing. She's like, oh, my God, after all of those cow bones, she was just mocking me. <laughs> and I honestly, like, I was so, like, if you think about it, like, in terms of yes. time scales, like 65 million years minimum ago, like there's mm. these ancient beasts walking around and they died so close to where I was looking, <laughs> but they didn't have the, the, the decency to die a little bit closer. 
That's horrible and awesome all at once. Yeah, I'm, I'm still mad about it. Gosh. <laughs> just to think if you just walked over that hill and climbed through the fence. I know. If only we – because we ran cattle, but they ran sheep from memory. And we used to tease them for running sheep. And I just think now if only we ran fucking sheep on our station, we would have had that property and <laughs> I would have found – well, they found more than one. They found three different species from memory now. Oh. And they keep finding them. They're just sort of like, oh, it's like, oh, they tri- their father was mustering cattle and he literally tripped over a thigh bone, which was precisely the story that I had drawn out in my head as a six-year-old, <laughs> which I was later taught to believe was stupid. So anyway, look, I'm not bitter about it, as you can tell. Rick <laughs> <laughs> Morton, you are ahead of your time. The Sam Neill. Uh, of Australia. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, it hasn't done me uh, – I, I still haven't found a dinosaur. Um, I'm still looking, by the way. Where are you looking? Well, I know some people who go on digs, and I'm I'm trying to join one of them. I haven't actually done it yet, but I do intend – That would be so awesome. Yeah, but the thing is, it would be awesome if you found one. But And the thing is, because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Um, and then I realized, yeah, like, actually, it's a lot of scratching around in the dirt. I, I didn't like going outside at the best of times. I'm like, why couldn't the dinosaurs have died under a shed or in air conditioning? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure. Like, I would like the, the fame of having discovered one and having one named after me, perhaps, but I'm not sure I want to go scratching around for it. So I haven't made up my mind yet. We'll see how we go. The Mortosaurus. <laughs> yeah, that sounds slightly terrifying you know, in two different ways. Um, so, yeah. What traits What traits would the Mortosaurus have? <laughs> it probably died alone. <laughs> oh, Rick. Oh. <laughs> like in the corner of a party or something like that. <laughs> or, or after trying to tell a bad joke in front of seven people. Like that's, oh. that's how it went extinct. <laughs> I'm just seeing a far side cartoon of the death of the Mortosaurus. I know. I'm actually picturing it in my head right now. This is fantastic. Gosh. <laughs> See oh. Look, uh, that's on the bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, what challenges you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I, like all of those things we spoke about before, I, I think about them a lot, but also I uh, family challenges me. Family mm-hmm. is, is difficult. Um, I, I have a, quite a small family these days, but trying to – I guess I feel quite guilty about living far away from them and living this life, which is a bit different to what they do. Um, does that make any sense? I don't think it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I'm kind of like I'm uh, – I don't know because I'm – my mother used to chase my father around the house when I was younger because my brother loved mustering cattle and I didn't. And she'd chase him around the house going, Ricky is special. Can't you see that? He's different. And my, my dad just never quite got it. So I've kind of gone off on this trajectory, which is I was the first one in my family to go to university. Um, and then aside from my cousin, actually, on my mother's side, though, so that's slightly different. But then I dropped mm. out of university, but it's still I've gone through this and I, I live in the city and everyone else is very country-oriented or they live in small towns or still on the station. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, I'm, very, I'm very different to them and I feel guilty about that in a way. So what's it like when city boy Rick comes home? <laughs> uh, it's quite funny because when I first left home, um, I was still so sheltered. Like I told you that story about driving through the mm. – um, I couldn't use chopsticks. I remember having Indian for the first time when I was 18 on the Gold Coast. Right. Um, and I went home and I'd, 
<clears throat> we used to kill our own cattle and we just basically, the method for cooking steak was to char it until it looked like the darkest shade of black scientists <laughs> always try to discover. <laughs> so <laughs> one day I came home and I took my mum and my sister to a restaurant and we ordered steak and I ordered my medium rare. And my sister looks at me and I'm not even kidding. She's like, medium rare? She's like, oh, la-di-da, rich boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that doesn't cost any more to make, Lauren. That's just a way. It's a way you can order your steak. So, and I'm not. I'm not even like. Um, God, I'm so far from being a city person. Um, it's not funny, but even in my family, there is still that kind of like. Oh, you're wearing a tie clip, or you go out to this bar, or my mother still gets scared because I tell her I walk home from work. I'm like, yeah, but it's in Sydney, but like, there's lights everywhere, and I'm a man. Um, yeah. like, what are you worried about? Whereas if I were to walk home in Boona, I would actually be legitimately scared because they don't tend to believe in streetlights. Oh. <laughs> it's like something that isn't in their basic philosophy as a town. Completely optional. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, well, you know, people lived in the dark for millennia, so why can't we go a little bit longer? We had to get a – this is slightly unrelated, but we had to petition Telstra to get broadband in 2004 just as I was leaving town because oh they wanted proof that we would use it. <laughs> What? There's a high school there. I know. There's a high school. It's quite an engaged arts community, lots of agricultural businesses. Like it's a good little town. And the Telstra's like, we don't believe that you would use broadband, so prove it. That's gracious. <laughs> so, yeah, this is this is the, the kind of the, the, the dueling um, worlds in which I kind of have straddled for a very long time. And I love both of them. I love living in Sydney, but I love getting out as well because it makes me feel 20 kilos lighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What was school like for you then? School was good. Um, I, when I was younger, I did school of um, distance education. Mm-hmm. So we didn't actually have a, a classroom. So mum was our teacher and occasionally we had a governess and we would do a half-hour radio lesson every day with our teacher 500 kilometres away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fun. So you just on the wireless radio and you yell out your name if you want to answer questions and whatnot. The teachers didn't believe that I did my own schoolwork. Um, until they saw me in person, they're like, oh, okay, he actually is. Um, and then when I was, when my parents divorced and we moved to the country town, I had to go to a real school and that was fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um, I remember the first day I had to, cause my cousins went to this school and it was only a little Catholic primary school with a hundred at the time, 120 kids. Um, and I just did not want to go. So my cousins were walking me to school and they walked ahead and I hid in a garden shed pretending to be a rake <laughs> for a couple of hours. I'm like, nobody, <laughs> just stay perfectly still, Rick. Nobody will find you in here. And they, they did eventually. but And, like, when they saw me, obviously they knew that I wasn't, like, a garden rake or a hoe or something like that. <laughs> but I was just convinced. I'm like, just, it's like, kind of like in Jurassic Park, like, um, be perfectly still. It's visions based on movement. Yes. Um, so that, it was terrifying. And then, like, I mean, by the end of, by the end of, that was in grade, end of grade two, I think. And then by grade seven, I was school captain. Um, and then I went to high school. And I was just... <clears throat> I loved school because it gave me a purpose. Like I was good at reading and writing and um, passable in math, uh, much to the chagrin of my maths teacher at the time. So, look, it was fun, but it was, it was quite difficult because, um, you know, it's a country high school uh, and even though I had a lot of friends and I, I, my brother was a bit of a troublemaker and he was older than me, so he paved the way in terms of my credibility for being cool. Mm. Um, but I to, to kind of grease the wheels of that, machine I also like would help the the cool kids with their homework and sometimes do their assignments for them so I felt constantly like I was in this kind of trade trade for credibility 
um, but yeah, look, in, in high school, yeah, it was, look, it was fine. I don't, I was never bullied, um, but it was difficult at the same time. There were a few things that I was dealing with at the time, which were quite difficult. Um, well, obviously I'm gay. So going to a country um, high school and not being out, well, I didn't come out while I was in high school and I don't think I ever could have. So that was like everybody else was dating and I had my, my first, the first girlfriend I got was an accident because of a friend, <laughs> a mutual friend called me and Telstra had just introduced Telstra three-way phone calls. Yes. And so she called me, Danielle called me and she's like, so do you like Brittany? I'm like, I love Brittany. Like in my head, I'm like, Brittany's a great girl. Why wouldn't anyone yep. love Brittany? Like I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. And we had this long chat for half an hour. And then at the end, she's like, surprise, Brittany's on the other end of the phone. Oh. Are you going to go out with her now? I'm like, yes. Oh. So yeah, it was quite um difficult. <laughs> surprise. Brit- I, I mean, please. I, I was just going to say, Brittany and I are still friends to this day. Which is, that's excellent, right, yes, as an outcome. Yes, I didn't ruin her confidence forever. <laughs> I, I'm intrigued, if I may, you, you said just before, I'm gay, obviously. <laughs> actually, what, actually, what do I mean by that? I don't know. I don't mm, know why. What I, do you mean? Well, it's a very, look, I maybe that's just a, a weird turn of phrase I employed at the time. Well, maybe it's just because I assume everybody knows. Um, not that I go around shouting it from the rooftops. <clears throat> But um, certainly my good friends know, and, and occasionally I um, make light of the fact on Twitter, not very often because it doesn't define me. Sure. But it certainly defined my, my high school in my, in my younger years. That, defined um, a high school just because you were struggling with understanding those feelings? Yeah, not even, well, yes, um, to a degree, but also um, struggling with the idea that other people wouldn't understand those feelings. So, I mean, I was perfectly, at the time, perfectly uh, at home with the idea. <clears throat> but there wasn't much you could do with it. Um, so there wasn't any, I couldn't tell anyone about it. Well, I probably could have, but I didn't think I could. And I didn't mm. until I was 20. So it was kind of a very long, I, would, I just wasn't myself. So and in a way, I think it made me a better um, student because I had nothing else to do. So I hung out with my friends who I really liked and I studied and I, um, I did like extracurricular things like debating and public speaking um, and thoroughly enjoyed it because of it. But there was it was always a very one-dimensional experience mm-hmm. um, and I felt like I had to do a lot of catching up when that ended because everybody else had those formative years where I didn't. So maybe, maybe that's why I'm still like such a kid. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that innocence, is there? Oh, no, not at all. And I think I find it quite um, uh, enjoyable. Like there is a certain, mm. I guess that's where curiosity bases itself anyway. It's in that kind of the way you view the world and and having a kind of a certain uh, forensic look at things. <clears throat> and I spent a lot of, like, I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about stuff when I was young. So I think it set me up in a, in a quite a useful way, in a pra- practical way. What is one thing you would change about your life today? Uh, that's a good question. I, I know the answer. I don't want to. I don't want to make this chat like all uh, morbid and macabre or anything like that. But I would. I would give my mother money. Like she. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a lot, and I think that's the one thing that makes me worried because um, she's on her own and things like that. Sure. So I think that would be fantastic if I could somehow make that happen. And that's kind of always been my promise to her, anyway. But but I didn't bank on taking this long to make a lot of money. I'm like, ah, oh, God, I'm, <laughs> I'm 28. I'm running out of time. What am I going to do? Like I feel like I need Mama to. Mama found a dinosaur. Here's yeah, some money. Yeah, they don't pay you for that, unfortunately. Like I need to 
I need to Zuckerberg my existence somehow. <laughs> if you had infinite opportunity and resource, how would you Zuckerberg your existence? I God, do you know? Well, I'll be perfectly honest. I, there is not an entrepreneurial bone in my body. <laughs> like there's not a dinosaur bone either. I mean, there's just no, <laughs> just nothing. Um, I'm very good at working for other people. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm to me, and this is the stupidest thing I'll ever say out loud. To me, when I was younger, the, my ticket to uh, that existence was always to be a writer um, mm-hmm. and to be an author. And obviously you, there's only so many James Pattersons or J.K. Rowling's to go around. Um, so that's not exactly a practical uh, way of looking at things. But, you know, I just have, I've always had this faith that things will just work out um, one way or the other. And, you know, so far they have. I've been quite lucky. Um, I've worked hard, but I've been lucky as well. And, yeah, I just I have faith that something, things will be okay. Like I'm doing fine, but I just want to make sure mm. I can look after my mother. Do you make your own luck? <clears throat> That's a, yeah. Sometimes I get cranky with people when they say, I'm lucky. I'm like, you're not lucky. Like you worked hard, mm. you, you did your stuff, like you put your effort in, and that is the basic equation of success. <clears throat> um. I've I've been lucky in the sense that I've fucked up a lot of times. Like I mm-hmm. was I was fired from my first cadetship because I didn't go to university because um, it was tied to the university scholarship. So oh, okay, yeah. so I had a scholarship to university, a cadetship, which was a guaranteed job, um, and I just didn't turn up to uni. I hated it because I liked working too much. Um, and so after <laughs> you're only meant to get three warnings, and after seven, they're like, you know what? We're supposed to fire you right now, but we're going to send you to the community newspaper. And then if you do that, fine, then you can come back. And so I did that. And then the editor tried to keep me, um, which was not part of the deal. So then I just completely lost it. And I got into this screaming match with him. I was quite young um, in his office and told him to get out of his chair. And so he got up out of his chair and he sat down and I wrote my resignation letter on his computer and I printed it and I signed it and I walked out. Um, so I had no job at that point. Wow. I was 20. Um, oh wow! Yeah, so I had nothing. I'm like, oh god, I'm living on the Gold Coast. I have no money, um, and you know, well, I was always told that if you if you fuck up this cadetship, sorry for swearing so much, if you if you bugger it up, right. you're never going to work in this industry again. And it took me four years to come back to newspapers from that moment. Uh, maybe maybe slightly long. No, it was about yeah four years from that day. So what was your path in the interim? So I went back home to Boona, um mm-hmm. and tail between my legs. And I went. I used to fold the local newspaper, which is a family-owned newspaper, mm. when I was in high school for six dollars an hour. So I went to the editor, who I knew quite well, because I used to also used to feed her animals. And I said to her, "Can I have a job?" Wendy Crichton, Fastphone Guardian. She's amazing. So she mm. gave me a laptop. She gave me a desk, and she's like, "Right, give me twenty stories a week." And she paid me better than when I was a cadet at the Coast wow. Bulletin. And because I was living back home at this point, I had I was just flush with cash. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a year and a half. I got offered a job at the Torbert Chronicle. Um, by the editor there, but he only he wanted me to start in two weeks, and I said, you know, I'd rather give my current boss more notice because she's been so good to me, and it's, she's literally the editor, the production designer, she does everything on her own. Yeah. So and he's like, well, it's now or never. So I turned that down, and then uh, eventually took a job working for the Department of Education in Queensland. Um, briefly seconded to work for the Education Minister, but from mm-hmm. from the department, so that didn't last very long because it was terrifying um, and then I went back then I went back to the department and started writing personal like creative blogs and that's when Mamma Mia picked me up um, and then when I was at Mamma Mia I did that for a year and that's when I finally got my ticket to the Oz 
Yes. Um, after this kind of very roundabout way. So it was four years essentially in the wilderness. Like I, because my, in my DNA, like if you put it under a microscope, you will see a whole bunch of helixes and things like that. And you will see like newspaper print. <laughs> That's what I do. And newspaper journalism. <clears throat> and I finally got to come back and I was so happy. It worked out. So that's what I mean by in a roundabout way. Like, I mean, that's so, some of that was sort of luck. I worked, yeah. I worked at it, but it was also kind of like in how many different universes would that path have actually led to this outcome? I don't know, but here I am. There's some, some big happenstances that you became involved in, in that process though, isn't it? I mean, yes, you worked very hard and I'm not, oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that you didn't, you know, work hard and, and no. find the opportunities. It just that, for example, at the time that you worked for Mamma Mia, hmm. it was such a formative time for that as a as a website and, a, and an organisation. Yes, uh, and you coming in in the same way, a formative time for you as a journalist, as someone who is finding a voice in a different fashion with a different audience to what you were probably used to. Yeah, yeah, and it was like I mean, I guess because I'm not sure that they necessarily had a plan at that point. I've never had a plan. Like I've never said to myself, like my only plan was. I want to be a journalist. And I mm-hmm. had that from the age of 10. And in high school, I used to write, this is so stupid, but I used to write affirmations in my little diary. And so mm-hmm. I would write, I will become a journalist um, by the time I'm 20. I will become a journalist by the time I'm 20. I write them 15 times a day. <clears throat> and as it turns out, I was a journalist by the time I was 17 and nine months. Um, <laughs> and so it worked. I, I'm like, oh, God, my affirmations were so good. I did it three years ahead of schedule. Um, and so like, I didn't have a plan. Mamma Mia didn't have a plan. So all these things are just, I mean, there's a lot of serendipity in the world, I believe. And that's kind of mm. the, the underpinning of my basic belief that, you know, for me, I've always thought that, you know, things might not go to, uh, where you envisaged, um, but things will happen and they will be okay. Um, I, I guess that's a, that's a privileged way of looking at it because not everybody has the privilege of saying things will work out because so many things get in the way. And I understand this completely because of my own childhood. Like if you don't have the money or if you're fighting bills piling up uh, or you've got, you know, just sudden expenses or you've got kids who are sick or deaths in the family, like things get in the way. And mm. some people don't have the privilege of chasing that luck in the way that I did because I had just enough rope to do it. Yes. So I was lucky because I could easily have been dragged into a cycle where I didn't. And that it's a terrifying thought, actually. Yes. Just, just to just stop that thought there. Yeah, well, yeah let's, let's please. <laughs> um, what's the hardest truth you've had to deliver? Oh, <laughs> I, well, I get, I get, sorry to repeat territory, but it was when I, when I came out as gay. Mm. Um, to uh, first to a few friends on the Gold Coast, um, all of whom, by the way, said, yeah, we know. <laughs> so, so like this giant thing that was crushing me and just like pushing my internal organs together and, and just, you know, sucking the life out of me was the biggest thing that I'd ever, it was like a tumour basically. And I told all these people mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, so? And I'm like, well, and, and it's like it's, I was so relieved to have that reaction but also I'm like, why can't you feel this is like the world ending asteroid that I thought it was? Um, <laughs> but it was, I mean, that, that was a horrifying time for me because, um, and I had like, uh, I just, I basically broke down for a year um, mm. and was very destructive, uh, self-destructive, um, hence why I quit my job at the same time. Like it was just nothing worked out in that year because I was so conflicted and tormented and, um, I, because I am quite an anxious person, I, I was so consumed by what other people would think of me 
Mm. Um, and I've always been like that. I've always been very um, hyper aware of what other people think of me. And it's kind of, it can be a debilitating thing when it strikes at its uh, most uh, hardest moments, I suppose. I mean, you learn to manage it at the same time. But that mm, that truth was, it, it was dangerous at the time. And so I got over it. Um, and everything else since then has been relatively easy, to be quite honest. Thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Where do you find your peace? Writing. I love writing. Um, again, because I'm so comfortable in my own company, like I will go out for drinks with friends and uh, I see them very regularly. But my, apart from that, my favourite thing to do is to get a coffee and to just sit down and, and write um, for myself. Like I write for work, obviously, mm-hmm. but writing for work is a different kind of thrill. But writing for myself is so relaxing. Um. And I don't, I don't know, I just thank God I have it because I, I feel sorry for people who don't because I'm like, well, what do you do when you're on your own? Like what, what do you think about and, and, and what's the point of thinking about something if you're not going to write it down? It's kind of like a shitty version of Instagram for the soul. It's like <laughs> why have this thought if you're not going to document it um, for posterity? And I write about my life. I write, about, I write creatively, fiction. Um, I try. Mm. It's all shit. But, but it makes me feel good to do it. The act yes. of doing it is enough. And I don't know, I just, I, I will always have that. And it makes me so thankful because, you know, when I'm old and in a nursing home, by then they'll probably have dictation software for the way you blink your eyes. So if I can't move my hands, I can still do that. Mm. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, it's nice. It's a nice thought. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months, Rick? Oh, good question. <laughs> I'll take you back to that earlier thought. I don't have a plan. I've, <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm like a bad version of the Joker in uh, the Dark Knight. Like feel like a dog chasing a car kind of thing. Um, mm. What what I want to do? I want to write a book um, at some point. Everybody does, so it's not a particularly mm. insightful um, thing to say. Um, uh, I've not done anything about trying to do that. By the way, I've tried to write one, um, but I want to publish it. And well, I don't know, work-wise, I just want to, I feel like I, so I've been at The Australian for three years now and I love, I love my job and I love the latitude I have to write what I write about. Mm. Um, and I care deeply about the things I write about as well. Um, but I want to kind of push the envelope on the kinds of stories I tell. Um, mm. I, I've been very um, kind of focused on breaking news, which is what they like at the paper, but also I want to do more of the feature um, human interest stories about things that haven't been told before and actually get out and do more of that stuff because I think it has the potential for such huge impact. Um, and it's when I'm most happy talking to people in those moments about, you know, just beautiful moments in their lives or horrible moments, but talking about it gives them strength. And I don't know, it's kind of, I'm looking forward to really diving deep in that kind of stuff. Rick, thank you very much for the things that you've shared with us today. They're very special. And please know that you are highly valued uh, and I, I thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. That was fun. Thank you. It is fun. Obviously, you're on Twitter, Rick. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? <laughs> I just, not not these days. No, I don't have time for any others. Mm. Um, my mind. I used to have one, like a fake account called the Purple Mongoose when I was young and stupid, <laughs> which pretended to be like an animal version of God. Yes. <laughs> um, it was 
it's terrifying actually it's kind of like yeah i wouldn't recommend anyone ever checking that out in fact i may delete it <laughs> <laughs> i literally i have not used it in years so you know everybody matures a little bit the purple mongoose is a part of my life that i no longer revisit ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun <laughs> This has been the humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Squiggly Rick is indeed human.